This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann. I'm at Otago Polytechnic in Dunedin today, and I'm joined by Mawera Karatai. Kira Mawera. Sort of, Sam. How are you today? I'm going very well. It's been a traumatic couple of weeks, but we're getting there. That's a good thing. It, it, it just Loss is one of those difficult things to deal with because we can't put a cast on it and, you know, make it stable. We've just got to work through it. So I think about you and your family and all of our listeners who are also dealing with grief. Yeah, Dad didn't want a funeral, and, and we're thinking that maybe that was a bad move, that we, we need to do something. We need to do, have yeah. that, that ritual something. We'll get there. You can always do that later. Exactly, yeah. And who are we introducing today? I'm very excited today to introduce Dr. David Evans-Bailey. David is an academic, a social commentator and a published author. And I have been following David on social media for some time and I love his work. David, it is a real great pleasure for us to have you today. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me um, and it's a pleasure to be here. Welcome, David. Where are you, David? Uh, well, I'm in New Zealand, obviously, and I'm currently in Rotorua, um, although I work out of Petoni because I'm a lecturer at Welltech. Uh, so we've been, uh, we've been asking people on the show for 442 times now how their bubble life was, and of course that's well turned into history, but we've carried on asking it. How was your bubble life? It wasn't too bad, actually. Um, It was me and my wife. um, We were living uh, below family at the time and um, in Auckland because I just finished my doctorate. Um, So we found it quite good. I mean, we get on very well together and obviously with our cat. Our cat was very happy to have me or us home all the time. I did, I didn't find it uh, too bad. The government has been very supportive, um, and I think they've done a fantastic job with COVID. And um, I think uh, we were very, very lucky to be in New Zealand. And I know that from having family in the UK uh, who fared perhaps a bit differently, and uh, life was possibly more uncomfortable for some of them, for sure. So social commentator, IT lecturer, and finish a doctorate. Let's start with the doctorate. What was your doctorate on? Okay, my doctorate was called uh, Synchronous Reality in uh, Virtual Insulation. Um, that's not actually the proper title, which I can't remember <laughs> off the top of my head. It's terrible, isn't it? Anyway, what it was involving was creating a uh, multi-sensory insulations, which involved uh, a, a virtual visual virtual layer and um, then um, a a physical layer. 
So, for example, the, the, this all hinged around the final installation that I made hinged around a caravan uh, that I lived in for two years in Yorkshire uh, with two cats. And so I recreated the uh, caravan in physical parts. And then when you put the headset on, you would see the whole of the rest of it. And um, the, the environs, there were animations of... Uh, things like foxes and so forth. And there was a soundscape and there were other types of sensory pieces of information uh, that you... So um, the the whole purpose of it was to see uh, what, what whether it would deepen the immersion in, uh, in the space, the sense of presence, i.e. being there, which it, indeed it did. It was a, a, it was a fascinating experience. Um, and um, the term synchronous reality was to describe this, uh, mer- this sort of merging of the different physical and virtual realities together, which I introduced as a term to the field in my doctorate. So maybe one day they'll remember me as the person who introduced synchronous, synchronous reality. I don't know. but <laughs> So after a time in this caravan that wasn't in Yorkshire, did people come out? As full-blooded Yorkshireites? No, no. Distrust of Lancashire, all that sort of thing? It was really nothing like that. Uh, So basically, um, it was a space where you could simply experience uh, solitude and peace. And uh, unlike most sort of virtual installations where people think they have to do something, it was more a case of just be there and experience it. And there was a a day-night cycle. Uh, so you had the moon and the sun going. Uh, the interesting and fascinating thing about it was that cycle only took uh, 10 minutes, but people would sit in that, sit in it for several cycles and um, they would become so absorbed in it that I, if I went to touch them on the shoulder in the end, they they sort of jerk out of it because they were literally felt as if they were in that. A different place and the 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 fact that it doesn't correspond to any kind of time that we know it in the physical world was a, a was a fascinating uh thing of the way that people will accept these i mean for example it wasn't the 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 visual element it wasn't like as real as reality it wasn't do you see what i mean but people will still accept that um so the it, and they were just happy to sit there and and experience it. So that was quite. Uh, that was there was some just very very interesting things that that came out of it. I mean, the whole purpose of it was to see would it trigger some sort of memories of their own because um, it's kind of based on. Uh, Bachelard. Bachelard talks about the house, the home, and if you go into a home, it will uh, trigger memories of your own home, the home that you were born in or lived in. Of course, in his time, people lived in houses for a very long time. So the idea was, would this uh, would this insulation trigger a connection with memories of the past for the person and of course it did um exactly that is exactly what happened people would say uh, it reminds me when i was on holiday in so and so it might not have even been in a caravan um there were several people who several iranians who were doing their doctorates and uh, they experienced memories not of being in a caravan but of similar places that they'd been in um and of course, there were people who did remember holidays were spent in caravans, and so the research question was uh, was answered. It sounds like a very different 
virtual experience from the first-person shooter, flashing lights, lots of movement. It, it's it totally sounds like different. a quite peaceful experience. Yeah, it's not a challenge-based uh, type of. It's not a game-based thing. It's not a thing where you have to do anything. It's a a space where you just be there. What was there was an interesting thing when people got into the installation. They would uh, they would go through what I call an active phase. So they would they would try to explore everything and look at everything because you can touch the things and the squabs and you can. They would do all of that stuff, establishing the space. Go outside, look at the birds. Oh, there's an owl or there's a fox and i want to see the fox again because it would come around again you know every time the cycle uh, and then they would the next the, the next phase was the passive phase where they would simply just sit they'd sit down and then they wouldn't move and and you could see they were sort of almost going into what you might call a reverie where they would just simply and and that was the uh probably the point where they started to connect with their own uh memories um, so it could have had um, applications in uh, mental health and so forth, for example, being a, sp- an, a space where you could uh, just have a room and, and experience this other space and uh, like a chill zone or something. There's there's lots of applications it could have had. But um, I think although New Zealand's quite forward in its VR progress, it's not it's kind of a lot it's backward i mean academically academic institutions apart from one or two i could name are are not uh behind the eight ball as they say they're not they're not ahead of the curve they're not investing in virtual reality um and it is the cutting edge like it or not although it hasn't become mainstream yet but it will and uh the those institutions that will invest in that technology will then find themselves riding that curve and the other ones will suddenly wake up to it and go oh god we ought to um we should be in we should have a virtual reality course oh, and uh, that'll be too late did you look at <laughs> the did you look at the minimum viable virtuality like how much does it how much does it take much to get it... people to that sort of state well it's an interesting that's interesting because i've been looking to uh, put virtual reality into what i teach because i uh, i teach uh, user interface and user experience at the moment at certificate level and um uh but i've introduced we've introduced a uh, learning unity which is a, a, a essentially a 3d engine to create 3d environments they create a user interface user experience as a game but it's i'd like to introduce a vr element and and um uh very the person who was my technical advisor at AUT, and he's probably, I'd say, one of the leading experts in VR in this country, although I don't suppose he wants me to mention his name, but he apparently has gone back to using phones, uh, you know, like the, the, the Google Cardboard and so forth, because it's a very cheap uh doable vr experience and that uh, so i'm sort of looking at that because you're looking otherwise at quite high-end investment and the other problem with these headsets like quest one two three add in nauseam and i had an htc vive which is a fantastic thing but obviously it's two generations behind now um and some of them require the sensors and some of them are internal sensors if you like um so they don't need those um 
and uh, they're, but there's still quite a there's a few thousand dollars required. Interestingly enough, what they do have at Welltech, the the health have got these hollow lenses, um, which cost quite a lot of money. I think they're like six thousand dollars, but they they use them to uh, teach uh, and two different things. They teach anatomy. So you put it on and you can see the skeleton and you can look at the skeleton and the blood system and they can isolate all these things all in 3D. It's unbelievably good. And it's all, it's AR. So it's not, you know, it's in the room. But the, and the even better one, uh, well, they say better. The, e, the even more fascinating one is that they have got these clinical uh, scenarios of uh, the, there's a person with symptoms like for example they have uh, some kind of allergy reaction and then you see the uh, the things on the skin coming up and they start to cough and they and they have to although they can't phys- do a treatment the 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 instructor controls it so if they say well I would now give them oxygen or I'd give them this or I'd give them that or then, and then they make them better or they can make them worse or they can make them die and they can uh, and it shows all the vitals right so you've got all the blood pressure and all that uh, sitting there and you've got the patient and i thought wow that's amazing because there's no uh there's no actor they are actors but there's no but they can't nobody can create that in real reality unless they're really sick but 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 in virtual reality you can run this thing over and over. I, th- I thought it was fantastic um, but apparently it did take a little bit of persuasion to get the investment into these headsets but i was like god this is because that is that's sitting right on the curve of teaching at the best highest level and there is so much technology out there i mean it's it's run away i belong to a um the vr and ar association which is like a worldwide thing and i've i've been to some of their conferences and looked at the presentations and it's quite amazing what people are actually doing uh we're just not aware of it and in education i think we're and it's not just new zealand but new zealand is behind in virtual reality that's a fact i i just know i can tell you that because how because of the the lack of jobs in the field (laughs) (laughs) i need to squeeze in the first of your music choices uh free all right now why this one uh well i grew up in that era i was learned to play the guitar uh I, i used to play in a band and so forth and play the guitar and so forth um it just is something that has always stuck with me. It, uh, whenever I hear that, you know, it's just, I don't know, it's just the way that it it really hits you. It, you know, you want to sort of get up and dance kind of thing. Um, I used to have a Blues Brothers band with my son. We were the Blues Brothers, my eldest son, and uh, we sang that. We sang that a few times. That was just fun. It's just a brilliant track. I don't think uh, when you hear those opening chords, I mean, they're just uh, iconic, I suppose. They're an iconic, it's an iconic track. Uh, It just never gets old.
Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui, kia koutou, ko tahuahau. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. I really hope, wherever you are, and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining, and illuminating for you more and more each day who you are a triumph of nature's art perfect unique and here making things better thank you now i know that for us all the last nearly three years have been very trying and troubling and difficult and we've had so much to navigate in completely new and unprecedented ways and of course, as a species, this has happened to us throughout time and space. And as living beings, this has happened to us throughout time and space, as we have co-evolved with all life in an infinite web. And there is an innate resiliency, there is a, an innate perseverance that comes to the fore for all of us when we are facing challenges. And it can take some time for this level of determination to come forth and shine brightly however I believe for all of us that in our essence in our core there is that desire to continue and that desire to grow like all life and of course these times of real suffering and pain these times of real difficulty these times of isolation these times of loneliness these times of real desperation and at times despair really are tempering us in the crucible they really are as much as they're painful as much as we want to avoid them they are here refining us and removing any extraneous unhelpful unnecessary false parts of us or aspects of our, ourselves that we've projected out that we don't need anymore and we can emerge from these times of difficulty with a much clearer and more straightforward way of being, in my opinion. I know that this is a process that's been unfolding for me over the last several years, and I'm sure it has for all of us. Of course, now we have re-emerged back into a form of consensus reality. We're not having to wear masks, we're not having to really follow any kind of restrictions except at healthcare organisations but for all of us I know there's still so much processing that needs to take place so I really hope for you you're having the time and space that you need you're getting the support that you need to process everything that's happened over the last several years and that you have that part of you that is your caretaker that is there looking after the other parts of you and I hope that you have people in your life your friends and whanau that are there for you also and that you can give each other the love and support that you need I know for myself of course the living world is a huge comfort 
being out at my heart's home workplace or the Kanoe Eco Sanctuary yesterday and working on the Kiwi Advocacy Plan for our new baby Kiwi that will be arriving next week and thinking all about how we can source funding for our education program having lost our funding unfortunately we are really looking to reframe a lot of our programs through new lenses and so this is an exciting creative process and of course finding those new skills that have grown in this time maybe we haven't even been aware of them but they've been growing and developing over this time and now that we need them we can really seek them out and call upon them and make use of them so I really hope for you you're enjoying discovering those new skills you're discovering those new aspects of yourself you're enjoying feeling the love and support of your own caretaker and of those around you and you're having the time and space that you need to process in our beautiful beautiful living world and our beautiful paradise that we have here we're so lucky and i look forward to talking to you again soon thanks so much Kakite. you're listening to blowing bubbles we're talking with dr david evans bailey david as well as this incredible work that you're doing in the vr space um you are a published author with a whole range of books uh to to your credit under the name dl bailey dr Oh, sorry, D-R, oh, D-R Bailey. I get it now, Dr. Bailey. Okay, <laughs> that makes good sense. Yeah, that's it. So, that was... um, so tell us about tell us about the, what you write and why you write it. Well, I've always been a writer. Um, my sisters, one of my sisters, well, both of them are writers, but one of my sisters is a very uh, accomplished author who's a published author um, and um, has done a, a historical crime series herself. Um and so I was a big reader and I wrote the first story, my first ever story about age nine, about which was all about my uh, a, a, a pack of teddy bears that I had. And uh, my I dictated it and my sister typed it up. And I suppose I've written things on and off since then. But it's just when I started the doctorate and I was that nobody should think that a doctorate is a breeze because it's it isn't and it uh, it's almost like hell on earth at times um and um i just had this idea for a uh a crime series that i was wanted to write crime very fond of reading it and i had this idea for a a, a particular incident uh, where a um priest gets shot in his uh, confessional so i wrote the first scene and then it turned into a novel. So I wrote the novel and um, my daughter is also a published author and very successful at, as it happens. She uh, published it under her badge, if you like, under her label. And uh, this this was set in Ireland about a inspector detective, detective inspector Galway, uh, Seamus Galway, uh, I, I could I could do the accent for you if you want, but um, anyway, and then it it he he gathers this cohort of detectives around him, uh, so it's got quite a lot of humour in it. And then I decided to write the second one and the third one and the fourth one, so they became this group called the Fox Catchers, who were focused on church crime. And then the so there's five books in the series, and the, uh, there was a spin-off from that, which was a uh, a barrister called Bernadette McKenna who defends one of the people in the second book one of the 
uh, which sort of follows on from the verse. And I, she was such a great character that I decided she'd have her own series. Um, and so she became, uh, there's, there's five books in that series. Um, but I suppose my books are, well, I'd say they're a bit racy uh, at times. <laughs> quite racy some of them the and um i i told the story i want to read i like to read this i like to read about detectives who are not these hard-nosed drinkers who can never have a relationship and all that all those tropes i don't want to read about that i want to read about that you know they have real lives and outside of so it's all about them as much as it is about the the crimes um and um there's a whole array of different types of characters so it's um lgbt as well um and bernadette mckenna is a a gay lawyer so she ends up with a partner and blah 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 and so it's sort of um it's it fascinates me the the relations human relationship as much as writing a good story i hope they are good stories i mean most people seem to enjoy them so who read them um and then um I'm, that that was uh, so i wrote all those books while i was in my doctorate and just shortly afterwards so in the space of two years i penned uh, about a uh, one and a half million words on top of my doctorate i'm a very fast writer i can't even mention that um, it is a phenomenal output well, well i can write fast i do write quite fast and um i yeah. sort of honed, honed my skills if you like and i'm lucky enough to have a sister who's very very experienced writer so you know she sort of vetted the first two books at least and until i was more confident and then obviously there's my daughter who's also a very prolific writer herself. So You've got this incredible creativity that is in your, in your brain, in your heart, however well, you yeah. write from, wherever that centre is, that is evident in your professional practice and in, in your teaching and also in your writing. Where and, and it also is evident in the practice of your, your sibling and your daughter. So where has that come from? Is it something that runs through your whole family? Yeah, I was born into a family of with a lot of theatricality. My mother, who's actually was Israeli and my father was British and he met her when in the war he was in the Palestine police and um, then they came to England and they settled in Malawi for 20 years and I, that's where I was born. I lived there for 11 years and my mother was always involved in some sort of amateur dramatics. So my life was spent hanging around these blasted theatres while my dad built the sets and my mum did all the, um, uh, you know, did all the producing and then my sisters were in the plays and it just went on like that. Um, then my uh, my one of my sisters became an artist uh, and she is a very good artist and successful artist and my other sister did lots of things. She was an actress for many, many years, a professional actress, and then she became uh, an author, and it's taken her uh, about 30 years to become successful. She was originally published in Mills and Boone as historical romances and so forth. So, And um, my my eldest sister had uh, a massive library uh, of different books, uh, science fiction and all kinds, and Georgette Hare was one of the family favourites. And I suppose I was just steeped in all of that 
so I've just become involved through my life in various things, which includes theatre and so forth. So I've been involved in a, a lot of different creative activities. But I suppose writing is probably the, my most uh, favourite activity. Um, and um, I'm currently writing a three part well it hopefully might be more but a, a, an aviation thriller for uh that funnily enough the same publisher that my sister writes for um Sapiri, they're called um and i'm just waiting for uh, they've got two of my books and i'm sort of waiting for them to progress while i write the third one um it's set in world war Two, um and it's about a uh group of slightly maverick spitfire pilots and um it's fictional for sure um uh, you know it's trying to uh, obviously sticking to the reality of the time but certainly uh, a lot of the things i've written didn't happen as one might expect <laughs> or did but, happen but nobody else wrote the story of no the it happened uh, yes it happened in the sense of uh it's woven within the context of the battle of britain and whatever else happened after that however the incidents could have happened i i like to think they could have happened but it's not based on anybody's life or anything like that i've i try to steer very uh clear of doing thing of writing that sort of thing um because it there's so many things that can go wrong <laughs> incredible creativity that you have and that runs through your whanau is that something that can be taught can it be taught um well i think it can to a degree because i like to teach it um i actually used to teach at a uh i was heavily involved with a pri at a private school in sussex and my sister was uh, the drama teacher there for a number of years and every summer they produced a play uh which involved the entire senior school becoming the uh, company and they would do all of the jobs. And I got involved in it as the technical uh, director doing all the technical. So we put it on in a big sort of marquee. So we had to put all the tech there. And eventually when I was working for the school as the IT uh, network manager, head of ICT, uh, ICT they call it there, and I was teaching as well, but I became the producer of the plays for a number of years. Um, and so um, I think that that when you involve kids in a very high energy, high create thing where they get involved in actually doing it, doing everything, virtually everything, that is when that you start to generate that level of creativity. In the same sense, when I used to teach ICT, I very much focused on teaching uh, particularly the younger ones before they started their exam years in how to uh, make little movies and edit them together and do animation and so forth. And funnily enough, one of my students at least went on to uh, go to film school and he's trying to make it in the film industry. And I've told him when he wins his first Oscar, then uh, I, I, will, I expect to be in, be invited. Um, and... Um, but in, uh, quite a number of people that came from the, that sort of theatrical thing that we got involved in went on to uh, get involved in more creativity in that field. So I think it's the environment that you create you, and also that you can teach people how to create purposefully, if you like, 
in such a way that they can tap into their own creative potential. Everybody's got talent, but it's just how do you address it and bring it out of that person? And, and you know, that's the skill of being a good teacher, I think, is to be able to tap it in the right way to try to bring it out. I mean, you don't always get it. And that's that is uh, that's just the way of it. But but the 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 the, the bonuses that people those guys who really fulfill that who go on and say oh i wouldn't have never have thought of doing this if it hadn't been for that thing you taught us well that's the payback let's squeeze in the second of your music choices let's have radiohead come a police why this one well again it's just uh, i just love that the tune it's just a fantastic tune and um uh i would like to think that there is a karma police somewhere who might take some of these rather dubious characters and dish out some calm to them at some point. <laughs> but I just think it's it's just a really cool tune. I've tried, I well, at times I've managed to successfully play it myself. Um, but yeah, I love that tune. And, there, um, and you're not going to play this one, but I just remembered the other one that's my big favourite is Zombie by the Cranberries. It's just... Again, a superb, it's just, I don't know, there's some tunes that really just hit you. I can't really say why, but that's pretty much...
your writing and social media uh, and your social commentary uh, really captured my attention. And you are so principled and you just seem to be able to cut through the rubbish and get to the facts of things. Where, where is that that um, that analysis of our society? What's uh, What has grown that? In- uh, well, I suppose, I mean, a lot of it I got from my father. My father was a lifelong liberal. Um, and at times I wasn't liberal, but I've become one. And I've realised that a lot of things he said were true. And um, I've observed politics because of him probably for years in the United Kingdom. And many of us were taken in by... Uh, Margaret Thatcher and uh, many things that she did, which we at the time thought were a good idea. But uh, years down the track, you look back and think that was terrible. What happened? You know, Um, and uh, everybody, uh, if you've ever experienced hard times, and I certainly have, um, you know, sometimes one falls from grace financially or however it comes about um, through uh, relationship breakups and so forth. Then um, you discover different parts of society. And I've also uh, done some interesting jobs. I was a taxi driver for uh, a year or two or, well, certainly a year. That was uh, an insight which uh, gave me an insight into something, a different side of humanity. Um, and I used to to do, I was a tradie for quite a while. I ran my own building business um, before I went back and got into education. After my very long IT career, I was sort of a... Anyway, um, so I suppose uh, by having rubbed shoulders with so many different people, you start to get a sense. Um, And I think it's just an age thing as much as anything. You you know, I'm very keen, uh, take a keen interest in history, World War Two, particularly, but but lots of different periods of history. Um, And um, it's just very unfortunate that you see uh, things that people have already done and messed up. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to uh, keep my language clean here. Um, And uh, (laughs) I, uh, you know, when I came to New Zealand um, and John Key was uh, in charge and it was like, oh, well, this seems pretty much like the Tories in the UK. And John Key was always struck me as a man that I would never buy a used car from uh, because he just seemed like a used car salesman. I know this is will insult a whole raft of people who think that he is next to God, but he is not, you know, just he he's misled the country uh, documented. <laughs> Lisa. And, um, you know, Jacinda and the Labour movement was a refreshing change. Um, and I suppose I got, I don't know, I just came across Gerard Otto's commentary and I just started to get involved by making my own comments, uh, you know, because I sort of became a keen watcher of what was going on and, and also because of some of the ridiculous uh, things that were being said. And I just felt that, well, you know, somebody's got to point out the the bullshit, sorry, that is going on here. And, the, the you know, and that is being trying, the, the things that people are trying to, to fly in, um, which which had never worked. Um, so I'm not going to go into it all. But um, I mean, you know, uh, I think we're very, this country has been very lucky. Um to have uh, a a leader and a, a team, you know, why I think people are uh, misled into re- not think into thinking that it's all about Jacinda, but she has a very very strong team, uh, and uh, in spite of the fact that 
the uh, media have done their best to conceal all of her achievements and downplay them. She has, there are a tremendous amount of social justice things that have been achieved. Um, and I just want to, I just feel like, well, someone's got to point it out. Now, maybe people probably think I'm talking crap and um, some people probably hate me. And um, that's just part of the course. But, you know, I just think there's the, the, there's just a horrendous amount of misinformation. And having gone through a doctorate and done all the training as a researcher, I just like, uh, it it drives me nuts to see, uh, you know, because you it's like you have to go back to source and you have to find just so I sort of come from that angle. I think that my experience in academia sort of honed my senses more to really sort of zone in on and try to cut through the BS and the. The, and what really irks me more than anything is the uh, the media in this country. I mean, the media in the UK is nothing to write home about and nobody is under any illusion about uh, what I'd call the Daily Fail and um, the Sun and the, the dreadful newspapers are absolutely terrible. Um, but it, I just... To find the same thing here, and, and and in some ways it's even worse because it's kind of amplified in, in this sort of microcosm of a much smaller society that uh, must know that what they're doing is lying to the public. So how do we get past that misinformation and disinformation? Do, do we just need to be vigilant on it or is, do, is there a circuit breaker somewhere? I just I don't know what the circuit breaker is because people won't be have their circuits broken that's the problem you know you can only look at all the misinformation about vaccinations and covid and all the rabbit holes that people went down and have gone down and still go down um so how do you stop that because nobody has managed to argue any of those people out of their viewpoints but i think you've got to appeal to reasonable people reasonable people uh, and somehow, I mean, I've, I've, it's just a lot of work. Somehow I haven't really done it, but I've thought of perhaps starting up a social commentaries type of blog or something to just to try to put the uh, my perspective across uh, as much as I put it across in my comments on Gerard's page. Um, and, but he has a, a very big following. Um, and I do have a uh, Jacinda and Labour group. I'd, I make no secret of the fact that I am a Labour supporter in this country and I am a Liberal and I don't care who knows it and I don't care who doesn't like me because of it. Let's end with our questions to end the show with and not very much time. So we're going to have to wriggle through them. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Um, my doctorate, I suppose. And um, I'd like to say the 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 other thing is that my I say uh, a, a couple of words for my good lady wife who has supported me through thick and thin, who has inspired me, who has battled through all kinds of things, including cancer who uh, had an abusive upbringing from her own family and her own father. And and yet she has fully supported me. And uh, without her, I don't think I'd have got as far as I have. And um, she's my second wife and uh, we've been together since 2010. But I do want to say a real, a big public thank you to her because uh, she's the other half <laughs> of the equation that, you know, probably doesn't get mentioned and should be. So maybe she is the answer to the next question, which is what's your superpower? 
uh, my superpower. I, uh, well, it, probably my wife, yes, but um, I don't know. I think um, my writing is my superpower because I, I can write. I know I can write and I uh, I can write very fast and um, I, I know I can write well. And um, so and I'm very grateful to all the people that are fans of my work. I really do say a big thank you to them, uh, whether it's my fiction or my social commentary or whatever. I'm I'm gratified that people are, uh, take any notice of anything I've got to say. <laughs> <laughs> so do you consider yourself to be an activist? Am I an activist? Well, oh, that's a loaded word, isn't it? Um, I probably am, but I'm not going to be going down out on the streets and uh, shouting about it at my age, unless it was something that I really felt that was the only way to express myself. Then there's been far too many people shouting on the streets for no good reason whatsoever, frankly. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Well, I've got to work, obviously, um, and um, I guess writing and, um, it, you know, at my age, every single I am uh, not that I'm expecting to demise immediately or tomorrow and hopefully not for a very long time. But you start to get to the point where I, you know, I made it to another day and here's another day and um Let's see what we can do with this day. And maybe it'll be a good day. Maybe I'll get lots of things done or maybe I won't. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, because I haven't achieved everything I want to achieve. I, I feel that I have not achieved the success I want to as a writer and the recognition that I want as a fictional writer. And I would dearly love to uh, achieve that recognition if I could uh, before I depart from this earth Um and um and anything else i've done you know in the vr field or whatever but that may not happen so but it certainly i'd like to i'd like my writing to uh to to hit the sort of a, a higher level in the sense of in terms of success than it has and i suppose that's what drives me to keep writing because there's always another story you know and um i've always got another book in me and uh, there's certainly another di galway sitting there waiting till for a time for me to write it so what is the biggest challenge or opportunity that you're looking forward to in the next year or so uh well uh i don't really know and i think um seeing whether my new series will be a success or not and um, that's a big challenge um and until it's out uh then i won't know uh. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly do you have any advice for our listeners be your be yourself is my advice and don't worry so much about what other people think when you get to my age you care less and less about what other people think about you um and we should try not to worry too much about those things and try to be uh, true to yourself um and try to be the best of yourself i mean i don't always succeed in that either but i give it a shot Thanks for that. Moira. David, thank you for your goodness, uh, for the creativity that you share so willingly, for being a wonderful teacher, for your time today, uh, for your commentary uh, on our society and how we're living and your hopes for the future. We appreciate you 
and I think that your students are very lucky lucky people actually and I wish I could be one of your students <laughs> well thank you very very much for joining us thank you for your kind words um I really appreciate you asking me on here and um hopefully uh, some people will uh, enjoy what I've had to say um and thank you so much for for having me I suppose yeah thank you You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic, which is itself brought to you by T. Pukanga. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoons at three and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. This is the Cranberries Zombie. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Mann at Otago Polytechnic Tipukanga with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani and in Rotorua we've been joined by Dr. David Evans-Bailey. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show.
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.